We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. I'm here today with Dave Potter. I'm going to read his bio for you because he's much too accomplished for me to try and remember everything that he's done. So please pardon my reading. As a product of California public school system, Dave Potter is passionate about his state fulfilling its promise to provide all students with a world-class education. Dave's focus is supporting underserved communities through people-to-people exchanges and all forms of cross-collaboration that make progress on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Dave is fluent in strategic partnerships, purposeful storytelling, and building networks of learners with government, corporate, philanthropic, and education leaders worldwide. He has helped raise $40 million to support Northern California Sister Cities, National Security Language Initiative for Youth, the Kennedy Luger Youth Exchange and Study Program, and numerous others exchange programs. For the past 25 years, Dave has helped expand the field of virtual exchange to build 21st century skills and foster compassion in K-12 education. Based in San Francisco, Dave has a BA in astrophysics from UC Berkeley and an MS in environmental systems, international development technology from Humboldt State University. So thank you so much, Dave, for taking the time to chat with me today and to share your thoughts. What I wanted to start with was one of the big issues that I see as an employer, as an entrepreneur, and definitely as an educator is motivating students and motivating people to take action. And this is something that you've spent a lot of time working in and building cross-cultural collaboration and helping students to connect to each other and take action in their world. One of our graduate standards at Up Academy is influencing action. So how do you take all the skills that you learn in your education and do something that makes a difference in the world with it? It's also one of your domains of the Global Education Project. So can you talk a little bit about how you work with administrators and educators 
to support students in taking action in their lives and communities? Sure, and that is, uh, of the domains, it's the fourth and probably the most important one and the most difficult one to work with county offices, school districts, teachers, communities around what that looks like and how that fits in to a typical school day for teachers um, and students. So what does action look like? We've done a really good job, I think, of after-school programs that allow kids to explore, whether it's music or athletics or makerspaces, uh, things like that. And I remember when I was younger, I was able to just wait for that final bell so I can actually do something, mostly with my hands, that was my choice, right? So I had agency over what that activity was going to be. I think that's an important idea, student agency right now and voice, uh, voice and choice and, and what learning looks like, especially for middle and high school students. Uh, but certainly starting earlier than that. And I think that's that's the big question right now in this pandemic is uh, where things are swirling around grades, reopening, um, not going, you know, the CSU system is now not going to convene on, on it's going to be online, right? So there's that sent signal um, to higher ed in California and all the K-12 students as well. And parents, like, what's the value of learning right now? And how do we measure it? And those conversations have been going on for a while, but now they're right there. And I think uh, a lot of the work I've done and a lot of people I talk to, it there is a recognition that we need to be not just empowering youth, but partners with our children in designing learning and teaching how we teach with them. And I think that that seems to be underlining everything that I talk about now uh, with my team at the California Global Education Project, with district and county leaders, with others in the field of education, trying to support school districts and state agencies to have a plan to go back. And a lot of the plans are, you know, focusing on the technical testing, wearing masks, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, But there's a very deep sense of, is this the time now that we ask our kids what they want when they go back? That's a conversation I'm having with my teens. And that's where I think the really interesting conversations are right now with lots of things going on. Yesterday's budget, uh, the California state budget decreases funding including for a lot of the work that we do for teacher support in California. Funds for special education are being preserved, but that's about it. And then are we having this conversation with the students right now? Like when we go back, we're going to have less funding for this and this. What's your priority? What do you want to want to have? What do you want to see? We have a census. We have an election coming up. Um, the state of California is trying to prepare more civically minded youth right now. And we saw that with the environmental strikes, the climate strikes, the kids were doing. So there's this activism coming up. How do we feed that? And again, it, it always comes back to me. It's like, are we ready to ask, especially high school students, but middle school students, like, what do you want when we go back? What do you want this to look like? Not just 
washing your hands or wearing a mask? Like what, what do you want your learning to look like? So you feel like you're connected with others. You're doing something that you like doing something that you feel has meaning to what you, the skills you want to have going forward. And as you say, right, what, what action do you want to take as a thoughtful, educated citizen to help us and your families and your communities kind of emerge from this crisis um, and go forward um, with a sense of connection, especially to community. I think that's important. I think you mentioned social learning is very social. That's sort of broken right now. And kids are not hanging out with other kids. Uh, It takes a pretty big toll emotionally on children and their families. So when we go back, what do connections look like? What do kids need? What do they want? We want to play with our friends, right? Are we going to think about recess limits in the same way after this? Are we going to think about outdoor education, which I think is something I've been thinking a lot about, um, more stuff outside, which has Mm -hmm. been decreased over the years. Is it healthy to be outside? Is it healthy to be your friends outside playing? Is there going to be more play in education after this? Uh, Are we going to rethink arts, uh, performing visual arts a little differently, how we, and not just as a trauma intervention, right, for mental health of kids, but as a like a core part of what schools can provide now and the issue of food delivery and things like that. So a lot of stuff (laughs) to talk about. My head's full of these ideas as I'm sure yours are, but just really happy to hear how you're taking this from, you know, being a founder, entrepreneur, a school leader, you have to work with parents and students. So what are you hearing in your community about, what teaching and learning is going to look like. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K to 12 curriculum and that it's proven benefit to all student populations, including English learners and students in special education programs. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results, combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com slash B for a demo. That's IXL.com slash B-E. I think I'm hearing a lot of the same questions that you have. And we're we're in a little bit of a unique spot in that we are a newer school being in our second year of operation. It's been a wild two years (laughs) to be a startup for sure. Um, But we're also very focused on progressive education and supporting learners where they are already. And that's a piece of what we do. And because it's worked so well for us over the last couple of years, it's part of my excitement in having these conversations with how that can be translated into other schools. And part of what I'm hearing from you is there's this bucket of wants 
and this bucket of needs. And a lot of what I'm hearing from chatter from school districts and from parents is how do we fill what the students need? Uh, but I think it's a really interesting take to actually go to the students and say, hey, what do you guys want? What does this look like? Um, and if we are going to do more of a hybrid model, if it's going to be part-time two days a week or part-time half days, how can we, especially in into high school, how can we incorporate some of those college-level classes and dual learning or internships or other experiences and those doing things versus just learning things and really, really start to reimagine what the education day looks like? You know, are we stuck to six hours in the classroom? For me as an elementary educator, a lot of that's for parent convenience. Do they need to be in school six hours a day? Probably not for learning, but it is social and it's social emotional learning and it's developing how to work in a group and it's developing collaboration skills and all of these other things that do just take time together to be able to create. Um, but as you get older, you know, what does school look like and what should it look like? Um, and you had mentioned currently one of the most difficult things is to incorporate those taking action pieces to get students actually doing something in the classroom. Why do you think that's been so difficult up to this point for educators and for educational systems to incorporate? Um, there's a bit of a tradition of um, measurement. Uh, it's hard to measure uh, the impact of a, an action project by kids. Uh-huh. And it's a little easier to measure standardized tests in terms of reading math literacy, history, social science, things like that. So we need to have accountability and measurement, but we haven't designed measurements that I think capture a lot of the learning that happens with action projects. Um, and that sort of assessment is possible. We, it's just hard to do on scale for a systems, current system we have. I think that's part of it. A little bit of a little bit of not trusting kids to do something that is going to be within the parameters of acceptable. I mean, it's, and I understand that as a parent, right? You want to, you want to set some boundaries for young people, right? But there's just not as many opportunities within the school day with what these prescribed curriculum is, is to give these really hands-on action projects which don't fit necessarily in a an hour or a multi-hour block within a, a, a school day, right? So um, project-based learning or projects in general or taking action could be over a period of time. It could be with students not in your age cohort. It could involve intergenerational project learning, community-based work, and that can happen over time in places that are not the school. So you have all these aspects of learning that are not within the school, that are out of the control of the educators in the school, and they're not measurable. And you put all that together, it can be really frustrating. Um, I, I found athletics and other things to be awesome places to learn about everything, but they weren't measured. They were, you know, they were... Uh, except for applause, if you did it right. Athletics is a place where it's acceptable, but you, you can't really measure the learning coming out of a lot of sports teams. 
Um, but I find it, and I still find it, extremely helpful for all the different types of learning I do. And it gives me perspective of how to work with teachers by being on sports teams. Um, and I, I think that's just one example of how that doesn't quite fit in the, the take action. Because take action in the global competence sense that we use in our domain is, is not necessarily activism on social media or making a post or doing a march. You know, it's, it's understanding sort of your sense in the world and how you want to be a citizen going forward. So it's not just a one-off. Um, it's, it's a disposition of wanting to be thoughtful about how you're going to present yourself to the world and work with people in it to make things better over time. Um, and we're just, I don't think our school system is particularly good at longitudinal assessment of teaching and learning outside of very small bits of um, pedagogy. And there's just a whole big world of, of learning that's out there. Like what at home, in your community, you're out, you're doing stuff. Can you bring that into the classroom? What, what do you want to explore as you live in the world? What do you want to explore in the classroom? Um, and that's, that's something that we work with teachers specifically on bringing in the, you can say passions, but just the interests of the students, um, mm -hmm. seeing stuff in the world, exploring it, and then bringing it in the classroom. And let's start with there, whether we're doing a chemistry class or whether we're talking about history or whether we're doing math or geometry, um, bringing in the natural world, but also bringing in just what's happening at home with your family. So I think those are, uh, sometimes people call them authentic learning prompts or things like that. But it's, it's um, again, it's, and I'm going to keep saying this over and over, <laughs> is uh, ask, ask your students, what's, what do you really want to explore today? What do you want to learn? And I know it's hard to do that with 30 students in one place, but it's good teachers are able to understand uh, what their students are interested in and kind of go from there. We're just not set up for the take action part. But it's really, really, really important, especially right now. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think we're both in agreement that there are so many things that you learn in classes and athletics and things outside of school that aren't easily quantified or measured or definitely tested or assessed against. I know personally, all through high school, I was a dancer and very physically active all the time, similar to being an athlete, but I got C's in PE. Like it, it just <laughs> didn't translate. Um, so, you know, we're in a time where students are at home. And one of the things I hear a lot of parents talking about is their child falling behind. My student isn't getting curriculum from school. We're not doing as much online learning. I got a packet of worksheets, but my student finished it in the first couple of days. You know, what else can I be doing? And part of what I'm hearing you say is definitely asking asking your students what they're interested in. So from a parent perspective and from an educator perspective, you know, how can we really foster those take action traits or those interests or those passion projects or what practical advice do you have for parents to really work with their students on that during this time? Yeah, um, very carefully. 
Um, <laughs> you know, the, the answer to that, um, we're in a, an emergency. It's a, a national emergency. And there's things happening that we know really harms children, uh, especially with learning. Uh, and that's unemployment of their parents. So there's a lot of evidence that that's really bad, right? So we have, we're out of school, they're away from their friends, they're scared, we're all scared, people are unemployed, kids are sensing bad things are happening to a lot of people right now. So there's, there's that, right? And so most people I know are being very cautious Mm -hmm. and sensitive to the mental health of children right now. Be there, connect, say how you're doing, you know, ask them to connect with their friends, talk, give them space, let them eat what they want, you know, things like that. But you're also, we also have to have a vision of how to go forward, right? Kids need hope. They don't need despair. Can't just throw our hands up and say, you know, whatever. Uh, There there are still rules and young people need guidance uh, and to understand the consequence of their actions and things like that. So, and we need as parents and educators to model that. Um, and I, I like modeling a lot as what we do as adults. Um, I think it's very powerful. Um, and uh, especially if you've got teens, you know, there's like, they can smell a hypocrite in a second, right? <laughs> um, but it's uh I'm less concerned about learning loss than I'm about social connection, like not be able to hang out with your kids or kids not be able to hang out with their friends. Friendships are really important right now. Um, and so if we design our distance learning activities, teachers, students, whatever, um, again, ask the kids, like, how would you like to do this with a friend? how can we set this up to do this as a friend? Do we go to a place where you stand six feet apart and work on a math lesson? Do you do it online? Are you doing it on your own social media platform, um, right? You're using Twitch, you're doing an online game, which I'm doing with my kids. So that you ask them what's the best way and try to direct them towards being social in their learning, I think is explore different ways to do that. It's not easy. Schools are just such an important community center, right? And we've, we need to get back to that as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, I'm less worried about the learning loss. I have older children now. So if you have younger kids, especially in disadvantaged situations, having trouble with reading and writing and basic math literacy, then it's, it's slightly different conversation parents with special needs kids right um need a little extra help so i don't know the answer as much as the this general feeling that whatever we design that connects kids to each other one way or another is a key thing we can do right now as educators and parents more than i think trying to do direct instruction through distance learning. You can do some, a lot of teachers we work in are checking in, but half their students are more not coming back. They're not opening up their Zoom, let alone their packets 
that the younger ones got, right? It's just, there's a lot of um, attrition right now. So teachers trying to check in maybe once or twice a week. Um, and a lot of the schools, teachers I'm talking to, um, parents can try to set up what playdates in one form or another, I think is probably the most important thing. Um, but I defer to mental health professionals <laughs> on that one. Um, that, that feels like my, that would be my advice. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it's, it's really important to remember our kids emotional health and social health and understand that if we're lucky enough to be in a place where we are employed and aren't concerned right now, that's not true of all of our children's friends and definitely not true of everyone that we generally interact with. And so it is really important to remember that we have to build that that base of having a solid relationship and having safety and having security before students can even begin to learn. And it is so social. School is a social place. It's a community building place. It's a place where students get to talk to other adults and people in authority and share ideas and gain educational knowledge, but also just knowledge of being human and collaborating and connection with others. And we're missing all of that right now. And it's one of the questions that I keep getting about fall is if we're still in a virtual learning environment and we're going into new classes, like this year, we had the advantage of students having known their teachers and known the rest of their classmates for two thirds of the year before the year quit. But next year, as we're starting school, it could be new students, new cohorts, new teachers. And for a lot of places and for a lot of families, even if schools do go back, there are a number of families who are not comfortable going back, who have their own health issues in the house or live with elderly grandparents in the home or just don't feel safe. And so there's going to be a number of classrooms popping up where they don't have that prior relationship. So I think what I'm hearing you say is really just talk and connect with the kids and see how they want to build those relationships and how they want to work together, but definitely making sure that we make time to build those interpersonal relationships, whether it's virtually or in person. Yeah, and we're we're gonna have the we're gonna have kids who don't want to talk about what's happening in their home. Yeah. Um, so there, there's that, and there are gonna be parents who uh, I was just reading about uh, Israel's attempt to reopen schools last week, and they only had sixty percent of the parents were just scared. They don't know, right? So it's there's relationships, there's trust, there's feeling safe for parents. Um, and some of it depends on the procedures we set up. Uh, the CDC has how to reopen your school guidelines, but they're very broad. And mm-hmm. each of the thousand school districts in California will decide on their own. They have to decide on their own. It's not a choice. I mean, they, they will open or not and how they open or not. So you're going to have a thousand different models, perhaps, or many different models of what that looks like in different areas of the state. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's going to be chaos, but it's also good data of what works and not in different situations. So if these districts share what's happening well um, across the districts, then 
different types of demographic and rural urban districts will find each other and hopefully help each other to be able to do that. But trust is so valuable. It's so hard to build it and it can be gone so quickly. And this is about our children feeling safe. And that is, they feel safe with their friends again. And I think they'll feel safer if we ask them um, not just how they're doing, but what, what, what do they want learning the school experience or the learning experience, education experience to look like? What would be their ultimate day? What would be like the coolest thing they could do? Work on a project for two months? Um, this might be the time where pr- more project-based learning or competency-based learning gets tried out in different districts. Most districts have been pretty resistant to project-based learning, uh, despite the Buck Institute trying for a long, long time, I and mean, many others, to do that. Um, it doesn't quite, it's not a perfect fit with the traditional school model, so maybe now it is, and maybe more people will try. I'm, I'm a slightly resistant, I, I feel slightly uncomfortable about the word silver lining and opportunity things like that. I'm getting more comfortable with it um, because it's obvious that this is a big opportunity to try new ways of thinking about how we teach and learn with children who need us to talk to them about this. Uh, I, I just think it's inappropriate and not very constructive to just go back to the same structure in a school setting that where social distancing is not possible. Really? Are you going to have somebody suggested that teachers and students all wear masks at school? And I, I just don't see that. Um, I just don't see that happening for, especially in primary level schools. Are, are kids going to wear the mask the whole day? Are, are high school students going to do that? Right. And I think that the the design of how we use classrooms and hallways and the school setting is um, we're going to, have to be redesigned. And I think the best partners for doing that um, will include kids. You know, where do you where are you say where are you safe going? Uh, do you want to be on? There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, FlexTime enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of FlexTime without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your FlexTime work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com b to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E.